You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, NCC family. It's good to be with you today. Uh, For those of you that are joining us online this morning, thank you so much for taking the time and the space to hop in and dialogue with us this morning. Uh, Especially if you're one of our first-time guests, we are just so glad that you've taken the time to be here today. Uh, My name is Micah Hasty. I'm the worship pastor here at the North Canton Chapel, and I have the honor and privilege to preach to you this morning out of Matthew chapter 12. Uh, And we're in week four of our series called What Jesus Said. And this series, we've been looking at specifically the words of Jesus. Uh, We've looked at a couple of passages from the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, and examined just different conversations and different moments where Jesus speaks directly to some issues of the day then and some of the day now. Uh, And so like I said, we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 12. If you could turn there or scroll there on your phone or even open up a new tab, um, we're going to look at that together this morning. We're going to be in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you and we ask you for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth of your scriptures that you would help us to see what we need to see from this passage today. Would you convict us of sin, and would you guide us in your ways for your glory? We love you. It's in your name. Amen. So I have a question. Have you ever been hungry? And I don't mean like just a little bit of stomach growling, like maybe some of you, if you're watching this a little later in the day, uh, maybe as I was praying just then, your stomach was making some whale call sounds. I'm not sure. That's completely good if it was. But I mean like not just like a little hungry, like I need Taco Bell late at night, like a well-deserved hunger, like an earned hunger. Like you've been working hard all day, putting in the sweat equity, and you just need a good meal. You know, I remember when I was a young kid, I would wake up early in the morning and my friends and I would hop on our bikes at like, it felt like dawn and we would be gone until literally the sun started going down. And in that moment, I would come into the house and like a typical teenage boy, I would rip open the fridge and just start devouring everything that I could find in this fridge. 
And my mom used to fuss at me about this uh, because inevitably in my ravage devouring, uh, my mom, like she would come in and go, what are you doing? I, I need these ingredients for a meal that I'm making tomorrow. And come to think of it, actually, not much has changed. There's a lot of times even now I'll go and, and make a snack for myself. And then Kristen will come around the corner and go, whoa, whoa, you can't eat that. I need it later. But that's a good kind of hungry, like a hungry that is well-earned, well-deserved after a long day of play or a long day of work. And this is where we find Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 12. See, it says at the beginning of this passage, they're walking through a green field on the Sabbath, but they've just finished in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples, they've been doing a lot of ministry. They've just finished up this huge amount of teaching about rest and burdens and, and walking through all this stuff and they're, they're tired and they're hungry. They've earned it. And so they're walking through the field on the Sabbath and the disciples begin to pluck some heads off the grain. And you can imagine they probably rub it between their hands and and extract the grain out of it and just get like a small snack. They're hungry and they're eating. Now it's important that we look at this passage and really every passage that we look at in scripture through this lens of an early Jewish audience. Because if we don't, if we just look at this passage with our American Christian lenses on, we're going to miss some things. And so the first question that we should ask as we put on this lens is, well, hold hold on, what is the Sabbath? And why does it draw our attention to that in the very first verse? See, the Sabbath was a holy day. It was a day that was set apart by God for resting in him. And so if you look at Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17, this is where we first kind of see the Sabbath unpacked in terms of God's laws for the people of Israel. And so he's writing to Moses and the Lord said to Moses, again, Exodus 31 verses 12 through 17, you were to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths for this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord sanctify you. Sanctify means to make holy, to set apart. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. It's set apart for you. Everyone who profanes it, everyone who doesn't follow this Sabbath rest shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy or set apart to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath through their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. See, the Sabbath day, where we get our word Saturday, was a day that was to be honored by God's people to show others that they were God's people. It was a different kind of living. It was a day that said, hey, we're gonna give this day as a day of rest and delightful worship to our God, just thanking him for who he is and what he's done by following his example and observing the Sabbath, not working on this day, we're gonna point others to God by by the very way that we live. So this issue arises, 
because the Pharisees, uh, and the Pharisees were this group of well-educated, very intelligent, well-read men. They were religious leaders who helped guide the people of Israel in their practice of worship. They see Jesus' disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath. Look again there at verse 2. They said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So again, like in, in this context, we have to put on these early Jewish lenses. And the question that should rise up for us is, what does the law have to do with the Sabbath? What do these things have to do? So let me give us an example that might help our American minds a little bit, okay? Uh, So early in our country, we have uh, established this context of laws called blue laws. Some of you may have heard heard of these before, but blue laws were laws that were put in place to guard Sundays, to guard days of worship. Because early on in our country's history, it was just assumed on Sundays we worship. On Sundays we go to church, we honor God, we set apart a day to Sabbath rest. And so these blue laws were put into place uh, and they they did certain things like certain businesses would close early on Sundays or they would open later. There's some sales that were prohibited. So the sale of alcohol was prohibited on Sunday. That's a blue law. And so again, these were man-made laws in our country that are designed to set apart this certain day for rest and for worship. So for the early Jewish audience, as they're talking about this working on the Sabbath and the law, there's a bit of a tension. Because with the early Jewish people, God leaves what working on the Sabbath means fairly open-ended. He doesn't give a whole lot of stipulations or rules or guidance around it because I think he was trying to set this tone of, hey, rest, delight in me. Don't make this about what it's not rest in me. And so what happened, in in fact, in the entire Old Testament, there's only about six passages where we see some instruction or guidance from God on the Sabbath. And even those are honestly kind of loose. So we see in Exodus 35 and Numbers 15, there's this talk about not kindling fire or gathering wood for fires. Uh, In Jeremiah 17, there's a reference to not carrying heavy burdens or loads on the Sabbath. There are some stipulations around buying and selling that show up in Nehemiah 10 and 13, along with Amos 8. And then not seeking out pleasure apart from delighting in God shows up in Isaiah 58. But in the entire Old Testament, that's it. Like there's, there's really not a lot of things that are explicit to what it means to not work on the Sabbath. And it's important to know this. The Sabbath then and now exists so that God's people would take a day to restfully worship and delight in Him. This is why the Sabbath exists, so that God's people would take a day to restfully worship and delight in Him. But those very same people, whether well-intentioned or not, I'm not sure, they began to fill the Sabbath Sabbath with these anti-work laws. These laws that turned Sabbath rest into this whole giant legalistic hairball that completely misses the intended point. 
in the Hebrew Mishnah, which is this collection of early Jewish traditions and laws, we see 39 laws about not working on the Sabbath. These are man-made laws, not God-intended laws, but man-made laws that they added to the Sabbath. And of these laws, here's just a couple of things that were listed in there. Uh, Plowing was not allowed, hunting, preparing a meal, reaping, harvesting, tying knots, sewing more than one stitch, not, not like sewing a hole in a, or sewing up a hole in a fabric of clothing, but literally one stitch and writing more than one letter. And this is again, not a note to a friend. This is a single letter of the alphabet. And so you can see how this idea of working on the Sabbath gets a little bit crazy. There was even this law that was made around if a building collapsed on the Sabbath. And if the building collapsed, you were allowed to go in and look for survivors. If you found someone who was alive, you could pull them out. If you found someone who was dead, you had to leave their body there and come back after the Sabbath was over. Do you see how they were missing the point? They made this whole thing, something that was supposed to be a day to restfully delight and worship God and God alone into this giant mess of rules and regulations. And it was this heavy burden. And do you remember what Exodus 31 said? So we saw that God takes the Sabbath very seriously to the point where he said, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. But everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. So again, we know that God takes the Sabbath rest very seriously. And I think we all know what what it's like to operate in a space where we're operating without rest. Where we've been running so, so hard all week long. And we're just going, man, I'm, I'm just tired. I need a break. And so there's a little bit of this passage where I think I can read into it. Again, it's not explicit in this text, but there's a bit when we're talking about Sabbath rest where it says, someone who profanes it shall be put to death. I think that's almost by our own doing. Because when we don't rest well in who God is, when we don't delight well and take the time to pause and rest in Him, man, don't we get so mixed up? Emotionally, we're exhausted. Physically, our bodies start falling apart. God knew that we needed rest. And he made a way for us to do that, to worship him. He set a day apart. He said, this is set apart. It's holy for you. You need this. You need it. But then we come back to Matthew chapter 12. And so the Pharisees are taking these man-made laws that are found all throughout, these little nitpicky things that they were going, hey, this is punishable by death. And can you now sense the tension of the beginning of this passage? Like this is not just like some casual, hey, like your guys are plucking grain on the Sabbath. No, like imagine this moment because what the Pharisees have just done is they've thrown down a legalistic gauntlet that has basically said, hey, your guys, Jesus, they're breaking Sabbath law. And do you know what the penalty for breaking Sabbath law is? It's death. So this conversation suddenly just got a lot heavier. And so I kind of imagine like Jesus standing there in this moment with his disciples, like getting their morning Wheaties as they're coming through the field, this grain, right? And 
They've probably been laughing and having conversation and reflecting on the day before in all of the work that's been going on. And then we see the Pharisees and they have this conversation. And I imagine Jesus just pausing. And he does what I think we should all do. When we're confronted with, hey, you're breaking God's law. We should go to scripture and earnestly ask ourselves, hey, am I? Am I breaking God's law? But Jesus, in his conversation with the Pharisees, we're going to see, he goes right to scripture. Look again in verses 3 through 5 of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Can we just talk about how intense this just got? Like it was already tense and Jesus brings it up a notch because again, if you don't have your Jewish lenses on, you're going to miss this. Who is Jesus talking to? He's addressing Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the men who were well-educated, well-read. These are men who were to have had so much of the Old Testament, the scriptures memorized. And his first four words to them are, have you not read? I mean, this is like a slap in the face to their position and to their intelligence. This is, this is like going to the dentist and asking if, he, if he's ever seen teeth before. This is taking your car to the auto shop and asking the mechanic, hey, have you ever seen a car engine? This is heavy. And then Jesus references two passages uh, of scripture. The first one is in 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 through 6, where David, who has already been anointed by God to be Israel's king, he's fleeing from his life, for his life, from King Saul. And he and his men, those that have fled with him, they're hungry and they're seeking provision. And so what they do is they go to the temple and they ask the priest, Abimelech, for some food. Say, hey, we're hungry, we're tired. Is there any food that you have? Can you help us? But the priest only has bread of the presence. He doesn't have common bread that he's allowed to hand out. He has this bread that's been set apart for worship practice for the priests. And David pleads with Abimelech and he says, hey, look, like we follow, we are ceremonially clean. We've done all the right stuff that we need to do. Would you please consider giving us some food? And Abimelech breaks Sabbath law to value a person rather than the law. And he gives David, the anointed king by God, who has this authority given to him by God, even though he's not in the seat yet, Abimelech gives him and his men this bread. This is what Jesus is referencing. Now, David is the anointed king of Israel. Again, he's not in the spot yet, but he will be. And Abimelech knows this. And so the Pharisees would have known this illustration, would have some context around the whole thing. And they're likely drawing up some questions in their minds. I mean, they're going, wait, David, like he was anointed king. He held authority that was given to him by God. He broke the law to, to feed himself and to those who were hungry. But wait a minute, that's, that's David. He's got kingly authority and Abimelech made this thing for him. Wait. And then they probably start asking this question like, 
wait a minute, Jesus, what's your point? Who, do you, who are you saying you are? Who, who do you think you are, Jesus? But before they can verbalize any of this, Jesus throws in that other gut punch where he says, or have you not read in the law? Again, he says this to men who should have had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, memorized. And he gives them a second example of priests working in the temple on the Sabbath. We see this in Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 through 10, where it says, On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil and its drink offering, this is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So Jesus is pointing to the priests who work in the temple on the Sabbath, doing their priestly work, breaking the law because they are working on the Sabbath, but it says that they remain guiltless. And Jesus is asking them this question, is temple work more important than Sabbath obedience? Is it more important for the priest to not work or do they continue to offer burnt offerings on behalf of God's people? Is the law or are people more important? Again, they would begin to ask themselves questions. The Pharisees, as they're thinking about this, they would probably go, well, the priests, again, they're appointed by God. They've got exemptions to the law and the temple work. Wait, Jesus, wait a minute. Why are you talking about the priests? What are you, are, what are you saying? Who do you think you are? But then again, before they can verbalize, in verse 6, Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And you can just see them start spinning at this point, right? There, there again, loads of questions going, wait a minute, the, the, something greater than the temple? The temple is where the presence of God resides in the nation of Israel. This is where the people have to go to worship. Like the temple is everything and how the people relate to God. And they're going, wait, you're saying that something greater than the temple is here? But then Jesus continues in verse 7 by quoting an Old Testament passage, Hosea 6, verse 6, which says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And as he's quoting this, he kind of puts around it, if you had known what this means. Again, like he's digging at their ability to not look at Scripture rightly, to miss the point. And he's going, guys, you're not getting it. Look at Hosea 6. If you knew what it meant that God desires steadfast love more than sacrifices and burnt offerings, if you had known that God desires knowledge of him, relationship with him more than burnt offerings, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now again, we're sensing the tension in this conversation. Like it's been tense since the very beginning and, and Jesus is like the stuff that he says here, he is taking these guys, these Pharisees and he's kind of blowing their minds a little bit. And he's got them just absolutely confused because see the Pharisees have come and they're trying to like capture Jesus and his disciples with the yoke, the burden of the law. He's trying, they're trying to use the law to kind of saddle them, but in Matthew 11, remember we said at the beginning that Matthew 11, Jesus and his disciples were doing all of this work in this ministry. Do you know what Jesus is teaching on at the end of Matthew 11? Don't miss this. 
In the very end of Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who labor, talking about work, and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This whole conversation is revolving around Sabbath rest, where Jesus has just a few verses before said, guys, come to me. I am rest. Take my yoke upon you, not the yoke of the law, but learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the Pharisees thought they were talking about Sabbath law. But Jesus is showing us that this conversation is really a whole lot more about love and people and resting in the goodness of God. Jesus quotes Hosea 6 to show that mercy is greater than sacrifice. And he's showing them that they came with all of these man-made laws about work. Laws that were supposed to, in some weird, twisted way, help the people to honor the Sabbath in a better way. This day set aside for God's people to love him. And Jesus says to them, mercy, steadfast love is greater than all of your laws. He's telling these religious folks that they have, in fact, missed it. Do we ever miss it? I know I do. I make it about all kinds of things that it shouldn't be, and I miss just the basic command to love God with all that I am and to love others as He has loved me. In his commentary on this passage, there's a theologian named Douglas O'Donnell, and he writes this, Divine devotion without human sympathy is irreligious, ungodly, and unbiblical. I love that. Divine devotion without human sympathy is irreligious, ungodly, and unbiblical. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, not filled with tons of laws that are impossible to get right. My burden is light, not overwhelmed with the punishment of death. Mercy is greater than sacrifice. And then to top it all off, look there in verse eight with me again. At the very end, he says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of man. Why is it that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man? And as we've seen throughout this interaction and every interaction in the Gospels, there's not a moment where Jesus isn't extremely intentional with his words. When Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, he's actually referencing a well known passage in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that spoke of the coming Messiah. This is Daniel speaking of a vision that God gave to him. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, which was a name that the people of Israel often used to refer to God, the father. And he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man was the prophesied Messiah to come. 
He is the one to whom dominion, ultimate authority, and all rule over kingdoms, peoples, and nations is given. There is nothing outside of his authority and dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never end. The Son of Man is the Lord of all. And Jesus is looking to to these Pharisees and he says, I am the son of man. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so again, like bring it back into a conversation between Jesus and these guys that are trying to lead the people of Israel to worship God and they're just missing it. And Jesus has them right now absolutely spinning. Like they've got to be sick to their stomach a little bit because they're sitting here going, wait a minute, like, hold on, they're backtracking and listening to all of Jesus's words and what he said. They're going, King David, he had authority by God to do what he did. Who are, wait, Jesus, who are you saying you are? Jesus says, I am king. But, but Jesus, what about the priests in the temple? Like they've got authority and anointing to do what they do on the Sabbath. But Jesus, who are you? I am the great high priest. And, but Jesus, the, the temple, that's where only the presence of God is. What, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the presence of God dwelling with you and among you. But, but Jesus, only the Lord most high, only God, only Yahweh has ultimate dominion and authority and rule over the Sabbath. Jesus, who are you saying you are? And Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah to come. I have all dominion and glory over all things. I am Lord of the Sabbath and I am Lord of all. See, we thought this was a conversation about working on the Sabbath, but it's more than that. We thought this was a conversation and a bit of tension with some disciples who were plucking heads of grain and getting a morning snack. But it's actually a lot more than that. See, before we can fully grasp what Jesus said, we have to see who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? He is Lord of all. What authority does Jesus have? He has all authority. He is the only king forever. Jesus then takes this interaction and he pushes it one step farther. So look with me in Matthew 12, verses 9 through 15. See, Jesus takes his his teaching on his lordship over all things and the Sabbath, the law, all of it, and then he puts it into practice. So you can imagine these guys, like they're walking from the grain field and it says that they walk, Jesus went on from there, verse 9, and entered their synagogue where they would worship. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful, again, they're stuck on the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And it says, they said this so they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Notice he he turns their phrase a little bit. 
Because they're asking him, trying to catch him in this, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Should we allow medical practice work on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, look, you're making about the wrong thing. Is not a man more important than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. This is verse 13. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And then verse 15, this is, this is unbelievable. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him. And then what does it say that he did? And he healed them all. Like, can, can we just pause for just a s- small moment and talk about how absolutely punk rock Jesus is in this spot? Like, he just takes everything, like he sets the Pharisees completely on their backsides in regards to the law and his statements about the Son of Man and ultimate authority and really taking this tension that they have with the works-based law and then resting in God. He takes all of this and just pushes it over top. And then he walks into a synagogue, a place of worship, and proves something greater than the temple is here. He shows his authority over the law, over the temple, over the Sabbath, over life and death, over physical wellness, literally right here in this moment. And he does it right in front of their faces. And it makes them so mad. It says that they went off plotting how to destroy him. And so Jesus, knowing this, he gets a whole crowd that follows him. And what does he do? Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Yeah, he just heals them all. Something greater has come. Something greater has come. I want to go back for just a quick second to verse 11. See, Jesus here points to a Sabbath law, a man-made law about work, that said if a sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath by law, it was illegal to pull your sheep out of the pit to rescue it. You had to leave it there to the next day and hope that predatory animals didn't come get it or it didn't die in the pit. But he goes, you would all pull your sheep out to save its life. How much more important is a man than a sheep? Why was it okay that the disciples ate grain on the Sabbath because they were hungry? It's well because... Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and people are more important than the law. Why was it okay that Jesus healed on the Sabbath? Well, because people are more important than the law. Jesus is the good shepherd who would later go and lay down his life for his sheep. You know, in this whole exchange with Jesus and the Pharisees, like, I don't know about you, but I can tend to get fairly one-sided on it. I can start to like put myself on Jesus' side of the boxing ring, if you will, and just watch this like no contest knockout drag out of a fight take place. And I'm like rooting on Jesus going, yeah, like go after it. Like, and like you you just do, like as you're reading it, you start going like, man, Jesus is really putting these guys in their place. But we forget All too often, we are the Pharisees in this story. Think about that. See, we like to put 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 ourselves on the side of being the hero. 
we like to put ourselves on the side of like, oh no, I, I get this thing. Do we? What about you? Like, what preference do you make more important than people? What thing would you go out of your way to save and say that like you couldn't live without this thing, like the sheep in the pit at the expense of others and completely ignoring the brokenness and healing that is going to be affected by that? In what ways have you not recognized Jesus' ultimate authority over your life? In what ways have you not looked at his authority and and allowed that to take rule over your preferences, your pride, your politics, your prejudice? Like, we all do this. I do this. I miss the point. I get mixed up. I make it about what it's not, and I forget. What about you? Again, we like to read scripture as if we are the heroes of the story, but make no mistake, only Jesus is the hero of the story. We are sinful and broken and in need of a savior. We are all guilty of elevating law over Lord. We are prideful and arrogant and in need of humbling. We are dry bones needing to be breathed life into. We are wandering and we are lost without Jesus. And God knowing full well, that we would turn from him in complete sinful rebellion, sent the Son of Man, having given him all glory and dominion over all things to come willingly and take on the form of a servant. And because our rebellion, each and every, because of our rebellion, each and every one of us is deserving of eternal separation from God in a real place called hell, but God who is rich in mercy and loves us very much, the greatest king that there ever was and ever will be, took on the form of the lowest of the low and went to a cross and placed our sin and rebellion on his shoulders. He died and was buried and rose again from the dead so that we might be forgiven of sin and have new life in him. Would you believe that today? Would you believe that and respond to it? My friends, something greater has come. Something greater than King David has come. Something greater than the temple has come. Something greater than the Sabbath has come. Something greater than all nations, kingdoms, powers, and peoples has come. Something greater than our pride and our preferences has come. Something greater than our fear and our doubt has come. Something greater than sin and death has come. And his name is Jesus. And at his name, those who mourn will be comforted. At his name, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the lame will run. At his name, fear falls, doubt is destroyed, shame is shattered, and hope reigns forever. At his name, the lost will be found, the prodigals will be brought home. Those imprisoned to the bondage of chains of sin will be set free and made alive to live in freedom in Christ. Because at his name, Death is defeated. At his name, every tear is wiped away. At his name, all is made new. And there is hope for today and for all eternity because Jesus is alive and he has won the victory. And so church, we must take hope and take courage because something greater has come.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that when we miss the point, we thank you that when we make things into something they shouldn't be, when we elevate little things, when we miss you in the story, when we try to make it about ourselves, God, you step in and you restore. When we were dead in our sin, you made us alive and you, you made a way for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence where we don't have to live underneath the burden of the law. We don't have to bear these heavy loads and feel like we just have to get everything right all the time. Because we can't. But we don't have to because you did. You made a way. Jesus, you are something greater. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.